Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now, let's join the service already in progress. we sing a thousand generations falling down in worship to sing the song of ages to the Lamb and all who've gone before us and all who will believe will sing the song of ages to the Lamb your name is the highest your name is the greatest your name stands above them all all thrones and dominions all powers and positions your name stands above them all and the angels cry
seat this morning in the presence of the Lord. We're starting a brand new series today called Holy. And if you heard me preach in the first service or you go back and listen to the podcast from the first service, you will see that I don't believe that holy is something that you can define with a definition from the dictionary. Holy is something that we must have a revelation of and we must experience in order to even get a, a concept of what it is. So today, as we get ready to get into God's word and to begin to wrap our hearts around this idea, this is gonna pave the way for the next few weeks of the series. And it's gonna be a three week series and I want it to lead up to Easter and really open up the opportunity for us to experience the fullness of what God wants to do. I wanna make sure my mom, are you good mom? Do you have something? Do you have something? Are you just experience, you just, I don't know if you wanna say something. You, you just in the present, you do? Yes, she does. would say his holiness has settled today for those who have never experienced it and they're sensing it in this time of worship and that's God inviting you to experience a life a life of holiness every day every way as his word says be ye holy as I am holy and though we don't know what it is we know it is his image, his likeness. And he wants to purify as he brings holiness. It purifies us. It washes us. It sanctifies us. Because he is holy. The Holy Spirit is holy. Jesus is holy. Every part of them is holy. And that is what sets us apart from those who do not believe. So embrace His holiness. I feel like God is saying, embrace my holiness and see what I want to do. See how my spirit will be released in your life if you embrace my holiness and, and don't run from it. The enemy wants you to think that you can't have holiness or be holy. He wants to taint that concept. But God is saying, embrace it today. Hold to it. Seek deeper into it today. Thank you, Mom. We receive that as a word from, from the Lord. That's a great, it's a great way to start what, what I'm about to talk about because uh, it's a perfect example of when you begin to delve into the concept of God's holiness, uh, how words fall short. We need more experiences, less definitions. And uh, today I, I'm going to jump right into Isaiah chapter six, verses one through three. This is our text scripture for the day. I would really encourage you, maybe if this is something, a, t a topic or a subject that you're not normally, you know, super engaged about something like this because you don't understand it. That's what this is for. This is to, to get our church in a place where we're aware of the secret things of God that are very mysterious. Even when we investigate them, they're mysterious, but they're just unknown or, or just unthought of when we don't take the time to open our hearts to it. So open up your hearts to the Lord. I know that the Holy Spirit is gonna give you revelation on it. Our text is this. It says this. This is Isaiah writing in the book of Isaiah, one of the major prophets of the Old Testament. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, Isaiah speaking, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Today we start this brand new series at City of Life. It's a series called Holy. This is part one. I'm very honored uh, to share it with you. I believe God is gonna do some incredible things in the next few weeks. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your presence and your goodness here today. Thank you for moving on hearts and lives. I just sense a spirit 
of peace and healing and restoration in this room, of hope for those that are listening online, maybe through the podcast, just the miraculous, God. People can experience the power of your glory through your holiness right now, wherever they are. I speak that life over them right now. Bless this message. Give us revelation in Jesus' name. And everybody said, come on, everybody said, amen. amen. All right. Um, coming out of such a reverent moment, let me, uh, let me get to a couple of uh, almost trivia kind of questions. You can call out these answers if you know them. Uh, when you think of famous phrases, people who said these famous things in TV shows or movies, who said cowabunga? Okay, Ninja Turtles, very good. It's impressive. Okay, I'll throw one out there for those of you that are a little older. Okay, and you got you to gotta shout this out if you know who this is. I don't think the young people are going to know this. How about A? Hey. Ah, oh, okay. I see. You got fired up about that one, didn't you? How about a uh, oh! Homer. Somebody's been watching some uh, Simpsons. Okay. Um, how about this? How about, how about, hey, how you doing? Okay. You got Joey from Friends, right? Okay. You know, that's Joey from Friends. Uh, how about, oh, this is really, okay. Now, now I'm just telling you right now, I'm 51. So if you know this, you are at least my age. So you may not want to answer this out loud to bring shame on yourself. If you, if you don't want people to know your age, but they're going to know your age. If you get this one right here, this is, this is like exclusively for the old people. How about Nanu Nanu? Oh, Mork and Mindy. That's, y'all don't even know. Just, you got to look that up on your Google or something like that. That's Robin Williams from way back in the day. Um, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll throw out a softball here. Yabba dabba do. Fred Flintstone. Fred Flintstone. Okay. How about, holy smokes, Batman? Is that Robin? Robin? Okay. So when I think of holy smokes, Batman, or holy whatever that Robin said, that was kind of his thing, as he would say holy, say all these funny things. I think about like my grandpa used to say holy moly a lot. Holy moly. Like what? I used to say it when I was growing up. I was like, what does that mean? Holy moly. Like, I don't even understand. I know it rhymes, but like if I saw something that was crazy, I'd be like, oh, holy moly, look at that. And like, you don't even you ever say something without thinking about what it actually means. And so one day I looked up, what does that mean? What does holy moly mean? Like, where does that even come from? So I don't sound like a complete moron, or at least I know what I'm talking about. Well, I found out that originally people used to say holy Moses. So they were saying like, they were like sort of honoring Moses as being holy because he saw the presence of the Lord. He was in the presence of God, but in a way of not wanting to disrespect Moses, which would be disrespecting the presence of God. They didn't even want to say holy Moses. So they changed it to holy moly. Uh, so, so that's kind of where holy moly came from. I just thought that was kind of funny, but it's interesting when you think of the word holy kind of used like that, holy cow, holy Moses, holy other things that we don't want to say in church. Uh, holy, uh, holy is not holy to most people. The word holy is far from holy. As we were in service today and we were talking about how great God is, we were spending time in the presence of God, as mom mentioned, there are moments that you're experiencing in that where something is happening. You're experiencing a level of something that you're not used to, and you become aware in those moments that God is different than me. God is so much bigger and more infinite than I am. There's things about him that I can never know. There's things about him that just being around a little bit of his presence transforms everything about my life. So holiness is so much bigger than we ever could imagine, and we're living in a world that is completely devoid of reverence for the things of God. We, I grew up more in a generation, I believe, where people in a, in, a, in a larger sense at least respected things about God. Like people wouldn't go to certain extents of things that they would do because in the back of their mind, even if they weren't Christians, they had some kind of fear of God or eternal retribution. Well, now people don't really care about those kinds of things. And we live mostly in a world where people don't have a reverence for the things of God. And holiness to God, since I'm not trying to use this message as a way to simply define holiness, but I want to experience biblically what it is. So we begin to see what people experienced when they got a revelation of holiness. So we get a better understanding of what the Bible says it is. I just like to throw this idea out there. If you were to start a brand new society 
and you were to start a perfect society in, in terms of like leadership and, and ethics and morality and principles, and you were to come up with the 10 most important principles to ethically and morally run that society, you would choose 10 different rules that mattered the most. You would not waste a single one of them. Well, the first four of the rules that God came up with have to do with his holiness. God chose these rules. He would not waste 40% of his rules on something that didn't matter. And when the Bible says, have no other gods before me, why? Because I'm holy. Don't make for yourself some cheap version of a God. Why? Because I'm holy. Do not take my name in vain. Why? Because I'm holy. Remember the Sabbath day. Remember like I created the heavens and the earth and I rested on the seventh day as a sign to remember that this day is holy and my work is holy and to remember the things of God and I am God. Remember what I did on a regular basis. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Holiness to God is the foundation. It is a revelation, an unfolding revelation of who he is, how different he is than us. You think about that for a second. Think about something like the Lord's name in vain. You know, there are certainly blasphemous things that we hear on TV all the time now. I mean, growing up, there was more censorship on TV. When I watched TV, there were certain things you couldn't say. You can profane God's name on television. They use Jesus' name as a curse word. They find crazy ways to say things people have absolutely no respect for God. That, that's getting worse. I'm watching that get worse in my life. And, and people using God's name as a curse word certainly is taking the Lord's name in vain. But let me tell you what is more concerning even than that. Taking the, name's Lord, taking the Lord's name in vain is saying that you call on the name of Jesus, but living a life that contradicts that. There's a lot of people out there that have God first or Jesus first on their, on their bio, but they put everything else in the world before Jesus. What is that doing? It's, ta it's taking the name of the Lord in vain. That means you're not truly and sincerely calling on the name of the Lord. You're taking God's name in vain and you're not viewing his name as holy. We should view his name so reverent and so set apart. I, mean, I don't know if y'all watch Voldemort but, or in, in Harry Potter, but that, they, they wouldn't even say Voldemort's name, and he was evil. And we've got a God who is good and encourages us to speak the name of the Lord, but we need to put reverence back in his name to make sure that when we speak the name of Jesus, there's honor in the name of Jesus, that when we talk about God, that there is a respect and a reverence there. We can't begin to know what holiness is until we bring back honor and respect on the name of Jesus. So, so as we continue to unpack this, using his name in vain, uh, a world that's devoid of any reverence for God, I would like to look at something as foundational as the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. Our Father, which are in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our, trespass, forgive us our trespasses. We forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Those are, I mean, the most powerful prayer ever spoken. The, the model prayer, absolutely phenomenal and incredible in every way. But I would like to ask you a question. As well as you know that, what is the first request in that prayer? What is the first petition in that prayer. Think about it for a second. You can say it out loud if you want. Say it to yourself, to your neighbor. What's the first petition in that prayer? What's the first? That's actually right. It seems like thy kingdom come, thy will be done, or give us this day our daily bread is the first request that we're making of God. Because in the prayer, it sounds like Jesus is saying, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Like kind of complimenting him, like your name you know, holy is your name. No, no, no. He's saying, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Holy be your name in my life. 
I say in let your name be regarded as holy on my lips. Let your name be regarded as holy in my household. Let your name be regarded as holy in my relationships. Let your name be holy. You know, because I can't make your name holy. I'm not saying holy is your name. That way you're becoming more holy. No, what I'm saying is I want to experience your holiness in my life. Look at someone next to you and say, hallowed be the name of the Lord in your life in Jesus name. See, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Some people never experience thy kingdom come, but God's kingdom will never come in a place where his name is not regarded as holy. There's something sequential about this prayer. He's saying, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. God says, okay, my kingdom will come to somebody who thinks my name is holy. He says, my will will be done. And someone who says thy kingdom come and hallowed be thy name. On earth, this is heaven. Okay, you did all the other things. There is a, an order to the way we must approach God, and it starts with his holiness in our life. If we want to experience the fullness of God, if you keep having unanswered prayers, maybe you're not regarding God's name as holy. Maybe you haven't experienced what his holiness is in a way that gives you a revelation of who he wants to be in your life. Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44 God says something that seems completely unattainable. My mom mentioned it. Be holy as I am holy. You say, well, pastor, you refuse to define it. How can I do it if I don't know what it is? I'm trying to give you a revelation of it. We'll get there. Relax. We're learning about it. Be holy as I am holy. We can't just read what the definition says. Okay, I can be that. No, we have to figure it out. So that's why our text is in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6. And before I read this, I want to tell you a little bit about Isaiah. Isaiah was a major prophet in the Old Testament. And prophets were called by God. Literally called by God. Chosen by God. You had to accept the call. Follow after God. And you couldn't get out of it. It's not like if you had like 25 successful prophecies, God would be like, okay, you did a great job. Now go to the beach and retire. You couldn't retire from this job. This is something that when God called you to it, you did it. And Isaiah wasn't simply just a prophet. A lot of prophets came from obscurity. They were peasants. They were from small towns. They started out as nobodies. Isaiah was like a, a celebrity star type of prophet. He was a prophet to princes, to kings. He served Uzziah. He served Hezekiah, some very famous people in the Bible. He was around high, high level people. So he was the most righteous man in all of Israel. He was regarded by everyone as being like the highest level leader that you could imagine. So he had his heart fixed completely and solely upon God. So when he writes what I'm about to read you, this is a man who is spotless. This is a man who lives his life for the call. He lives the best life he can to live the most righteous life so he can hear God's voice unhindered from anything that would come from his mind or the world or anything else. He stays pure. He stays in the word. He listens to the voice of the Lord. And this is what he says in Isaiah chapter six. He says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted. He is getting an actual picture and a peek into heaven, into the throne room of God, where God actually resides. Someone say high and exalted. Hey, he don't live in St. Cloud. He does stay here with us and he's with us here, but his headquarters is somewhere much higher than St. Cloud. And he is lifted up. He is high and lifted up and exalted, seated on a throne. And listen to what it says right here. It says, and the train of his robe. Now, by the way, the temple of the Lord in heaven is so massive, so huge. We get a picture of how big heaven actually is in Revelation when it talks about New Jerusalem. M millions upon millions and hundreds of millions of square miles like 10, 20, 30 New York cities on top of each other, a cube that goes all the way up. It's like the biggest city you could ever imagine. So imagine how big the throne room is 
And he's getting a peek into the throne room of God where the God of the universe is seated on a throne. And he says he's high, he's exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, the hard part about growing up as a preacher's kid, it means you grow up in church and you don't know what a lot of stuff is when you hear it. And when I was growing up and I heard that the train of his robe filled the temple, I thought he had a robe with a choo-choo train on it. And I thought it was like, who, who? He's like, yeah, honk it again. It's like, it's like, I just did not know what it was like. I just didn't understand it back then. That's not what a train of his robe is. As a matter of fact, the train is something that you ever seen guys like a king in like a movie and he's got like this long robe, but it's got the, a, a huge train on the end that's very, very long and it follows him. Well, actually in biblical times when I, Isaiah was writing this, the longer your train was the more royal and majestic you were as a king. And here's why. In Isaiah's time, if you conquered another kingdom, the first thing that your military did was go to that king and find his train. His train had every victory against every king he had ever defeated in his lifetime attached to it. And what you did is you took his train and you attached it to yours. So when Isaiah said, I saw the Lord high and exalted, high and lifted up, seated on a throne and the train of his robe, it didn't just run around. It said it filled it. It was completely full of victories from everything that you can imagine. Cancer, sickness, disease, addiction, psychological, emotional pain. Every leader that's ever raised itself up against the name of Jesus, he has defeated every one of them. It's a glorious place. Isaiah is blown away by the imagery that he's seeing when he's looking into the throne room of God. It says above him were seraphim. And what are seraphim? This is a very special kind of angel that is created specifically to worship God. Some form of an angel and human form and creature. And it's got feet, but it's got wings. When we see animals typically... With wings, we typically will see two wings, but this particular uh, creature has got six wings. So it's got a pair of wings it's flying with, a, a pair of wings to cover its eyes with, and a pair of wings to cover its feet with. So this is an, an angel and a being. This is not, I mean, we're not talking about like Lord of the Rings here. This is real. This exists. The, these seraphim are real. They exist. And they are, their job is to, in the throne room, honor and give praise to God. And it says, I saw them. And why are they covering their eyes? Because in the same type of way, when Moses asked God if he could see his face, God said, no, nobody can see my face. He said, you'll die if you see my face. You say, well, why? Anybody ever tried to look directly into the sun? That's not smart. Uh, in the same type of way, if you think the sun is bright, how about the God who created it? You couldn't even remotely catch a glimpse. God had to walk by Moses. He said, okay, I'll turn around. He said, I'll turn around. You know, I, I, I'll walk back like this so you can see from behind. He said, but you, you, you can't even remotely see my face. And even when Moses saw God from behind, after that experience, he asked God, could I see you? And he allowed him to see a portion of him like that. He went back to the camp and the people were like, Moses, cover up your face. His face was so radiant like the sun simply from having seen God walk with his back turned. You want to talk about holy, something that we can't imagine. That's why the cherubim are like, Doc, the Ray-Bans don't work here. We need something to cover this up. This is crazy. This is next level. This is eternally they're covering their eye because they try to look and they can't get a peek. You say, well, how come they got wings covering their feet? Same type of thing with Moses. When we look at Moses in Exodus, he's tending a flock of sheep and he sees the burning bush. A voice comes out of the, the, the burning bush and he says, hey, here am I. And God says, hey, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals for the place that you're standing is holy ground. He said, if you try to walk on that area, that ain't going to be very good for you. So you better honor and take off your sandals because I am here in my manifest form. And in the same way, these angels, which represent creation, created beings, they're not humans, but they are creatures, meaning that they are created. 
I think that's the imagery of why they're covering their feet. Because as created beings, we have to understand that we are not like God. He is completely separate from us. So we can understand elements of him. But this is trying to show, I think Isaiah is trying to paint this picture of how different God is and how we are to revere him and hold him in the highest regard. And listen what it says. It says, and these seraphim are calling to one another. Listen what they're saying. He doesn't add any other thing that they say, just this. He says, they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. They are continually, this is all they can get out of their mouth. The only thing they can say when we were singing that song a minute ago, only one word comes to mind. There's only one word to describe holy. That's exactly what they're dealing with. He is so holy. He is so perfect. He is so beautiful. He's so wonderful. So set apart. So different. They can't get anything. As a matter of fact, it's not enough to say it once. They have to say holy, holy, holy. And when the Bible repeats something, this is a rule of interpretation in the Bible. It is called the law of repetition. If you ever see something repeated multiple times in the Bible, it's the way they made something emphatic. It's, it is a form of emphasis. So, you know, in the same way, you ever talk to somebody before that like texts you in all caps all the time? That's a very rude way of emphasizing uh, things. <laughs> they, they, they emphasize it. There's, there's other ways, like for instance, uh, in the, the Tetragrammaton or the version of Yahweh, the most holy name of God in the Bible, a lot of scholars and people, when they write it, will not write the vowels. They will only write the consonants for it and they will capitalize them because that name is regarded as too holy to say or too holy to write. So some people don't even say Yahweh uh, because they consider that to be so holy. So these angels are experiencing this moment where they're holy, holy, holy. So the law of repetition, we see something like Jesus in the book of John when he says something really important, he says, verily, verily, I say unto you. That word for verily means truly. He could have just said, truly, I say unto you. But no, he doesn't say that. He goes, truly, truly, I say unto you. Why? Because he's like, you better listen up because this is very important. It's very, very important. As a matter of fact, that word very means amen. So essentially, he was starting his sentences. He was saying amen to himself. He's like, I don't care if they like what I have to say. I'm going to say amen to myself. I should do that more often when I'm preaching. He says, amen, amen, I say unto you. Basically, let it be, let it be, I say it to you. I'll give you another example of the, the law of repetition. In Galatians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, Paul says something very strong, very harsh, something that some Christians would go, wow, does he really mean that? He says, I don't care if an angel comes to your church. He's like, I literally don't care who it is. If they preach a different Jesus and a different gospel than the one I just preached, and I'm just going to use the rough terminology that it's, it's used in a lot of the language that, of interpretation. He said, let them be damned. Let me just read it so you don't think I'm cussing. He says, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. And that's literally the Greek word for damned. It's, it's anathema. And it literally means accused, cursed, or damned. So he says in verse 8, and it's such a strong language, he's basically saying the gospel is so important and the picture of who Jesus is so important that if someone tries to change that, they're evil and let them be damned. And he even means to hell. It's, it's such intense language. He's saying, then he comes back in verse 9, he goes, as we have already said, I'm going to say it again. If anybody's preaching to you a gospel other than the one that you accepted, let them be under God's curse. So he's basically like, yeah, I said it. He repeats it. So the, I'm, I'm using these two examples of verily, verily, and this for the law of repetition to illustrate that saying something twice is very powerful in Scripture. Okay? That's not what the angels do. It's the only, please answer it. It's, it's the only place in Scripture. It's the only place in Scripture where it doesn't say something good about God just twice. Holy, holy, holy. The angels say holy, holy, holy. I consider that to be, just as someone who studied the Bible, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. 
we, we have to give a lot of uh, focus to this idea that it's, it's, it's something that's repeated three times. That's how holy he is. In scripture. The, the scripture is very economical with its words. It chooses its words very careful. So it's not going to waste something. So let, let's continue on with what Isaiah is experiencing. He says, verse four, this is crazy. He says, at the sound of their voice, the doorposts and the thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. When these angels, as he's in the presence of God, as the sound of the voices of the seraphim, they're saying, holy, holy, holy. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds of the temple are shaking. Smoke is filling the room. The glory of the, of the presence of the Lord is filling the room. Just at the very mention of his holiness. A lot of people are like, church is boring. This is not boring. What's happened, what Isaiah is seeing is not boring. It's powerful. Now listen to his response. As the, as the most righteous man in all of Israel, a man who someone cuts him off trying to get on the turnpike and he says, God bless you. Which is exactly what I do. Lord, forgive me for lying in front of my church just now. <laughs> I'm working on it. <laughs> Isaiah, he says here. Oh, this, this gets powerful. He says, woe to me. What that word woe is, it's not like, you know, when I met my wife for the first time, I was like, whoa. Now, this is a different kind of woe. This is very bad. This is a very bad woe. This means like judgment. Like, it's better off that I'm not born type woe. This is like, I am being judged on a level right now that I, I had no idea. He says, woe to me. I cried, he says. I am ruined. You say, well, why is he feeling that way in the presence of God? He's the, most, he's the most righteous man in all of Israel. He sees the holiness of God. And what is his response? Is his response, whoa, I'm just like that. This makes me feel good. I'm just like that. No, no, no. He goes, whoa. Woe to me. I am ruined. I actually like the original translation that I grew up hearing. It actually says, woe to me. He says, I am undone. That's his response to the presence of God. When you get in the presence of God, the only thing that can possibly happen is for you to say what Isaiah said. There is no one that will be able to say anything else other than what he said when you finally stand face to face with God someday. He says, I am undone. What does that mean? He literally means undone or ruined if you translate this word, what it means is I am disintegrated. Okay, you're like, oh man, I love that part in Avengers where they start disintegrating. That's cool. No, this is not cool at all. What this actually is, when you think about integrating, that means something is put together. Disintegrating, it means it's coming apart. And I want you to think further about it for a second. Think about the root of that word integration, where we get the word integrity. What it means is that my integrity in the holiness of God is coming undone. Compared to the holiness and the worthiness of God, I am disintegrating. Woe is me. I thought I was righteous. I thought I was holy. I thought I was worthy. But now that I've been in the presence of God, all I can say, I am ruined. I'm coming apart at the seams. I'm unraveling in the presence of God. He's not pointing his finger at someone else saying, oh, can you show this to my wife? Can you show this to my friend? They really, no, he's saying me. I am coming undone. You know, when we look in the book of Luke chapter 18 at the Pharisee, who is praying at the temple. And it says he stood praying with himself saying, God, I thank you 
that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even like this tax collector that's down there praying. Thank you that I'm not like that. And in the very next verse, it says, and the tax collector standing afar off would not even so much as lift up his eyes to heaven. He couldn't even get his eyes heavenward. Why? Because he was aware of the holiness that makes the angels cover their face and cover their eyes. He was aware of the holiness of God. He couldn't even lift up his eyes. But the Bible says that he beat his chest saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The only response we can ever have if we have been made aware of God's presence is I am a sinner. I am nothing. I am not better than anyone. As a matter of fact, I'm a lot worse. I will tell you something. There is no elitism in the holiness of God. There can be no racism in the holiness of God. There can be no nationalism in the holiness of God. There can be no class in the holiness of God. The only thing we become aware of in the presence of God is I am nothing. And he beat his chest and he said, I am a sinner. Be merciful to me. And Jesus said, I tell you that this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalts himself will be abased. They will be put down. But he that humbles himself will be exalted. This is the part for us that gives us hope. Because if there had ever been a man of integrity, an integrated man who had his life together. It was Isaiah. But we see that it wasn't enough. He goes on to say, I am a man of unclean lips. What's so ironic about that is if you were to judge him from an outward standpoint, there had never been a man in Israel with cleaner lips. Why? All he did was be a mouthpiece of God. He said what was holy and what was right. That's why Isaiah went on to say our righteousness in our own merit to God is as filthy rags. What does that mean? It means when we try on our own to earn God's favor or earn God's grace or earn merit outside of Jesus, it's worthless. It means absolutely nothing. And he says, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Now, here's the part that I find so hopeful, because I think if you were to stop right there, you'd be sitting here going, well, what's the point then? I mean, I'm terrible. I, 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 I can't do anything right already. And this makes me feel even worse because now I'm disintegrating and it's, it's just like really discouraging. Where is this going? Okay, here's where it's going. Is verse six, it says, then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand. By the way, I'm so excited about next week and the following week. We're going to talk about the tabernacle and the, the, the temple. And we're going to talk about how you enter into the presence of the Lord, into the holiness of the Lord in those times and how it can relate to us. Now, I didn't want to get into that before we discussed what holiness is. It's like, what's the point of talking about entering in if you don't even have a revelation of what it is? So we're laying the groundwork here. But what I love is it says that one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which represents cleansing. It says he had taken with tongs from the altar. We'll talk about the altar next week. It says with it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Atonement means at one meant. At one, again, we are disintegrated. Anybody here? An atone, if you break down that word, A-T-O-N-E-M-E-N-T, meant like that is like the state of something. It's like at the state of being at one again. He 
God puts us back together, makes the ultimate sacrifice for us. The angel is saying, hey, don't worry. No, you're not worthy. And yes, you're undone. But I'm going to show you a glimpse of what Jesus is going to be to the world that by putting your faith in Christ, his one time sacrifice is going to make you at one with God again. I'm going to cleanse your lips. I'm going to give you the ability to approach God and you can be with God. It says, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I send me. He got some boldness at that moment. So we go from Isaiah saying, I'm undone the holiness of God. I can't. It's just so different from me. I can't relate. I'm nothing to the angel inviting him to be a part of it. And through Christ in the book of Hebrews, we are told seeing then that we have a great high priest that's passed on into the heavens. Jesus, he says, who has been through everything that we have been through. He says, therefore, let us come boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It goes from a throne room that we can't approach, that we have to back into, that we got to keep our eyes closed and hide our eyes to saying, no, run to the arms of the Father. Through Jesus, we have access to God's holiness. As a matter of fact, not only do we have access to be in the presence of God, but we have a person called the Holy Spirit that lives within us. The very spirit of God that makes him holy is in you right now. Look at someone next to you and say, the Holy Spirit is with you right now. That's the, the truest statement you've ever heard. If you're a Christian and you put your faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit is with you. Now, here's the tough part of that. That means wherever you go, he goes. You remember my buddy, my buddy, wherever I go, he goes, well, this is like the Holy Spirit, but if you go somewhere that you shouldn't be going, he ain't going to check out at the front door and be like, homie, I'm waiting outside. No, no, no. It ain't like that. He goes with you. You say, well, how do you know? Because the Bible says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So you, you, that's why it's important. If we want to be aware of his holiness and remember what holiness is, it affects our life choices. We're not going to go the same places. We're not going to watch the same things. We're not going to listen to the same things. We're not going to have the same conversations. We're not going to say the same things that we would say before. Why? we got the power of the Holy Spirit living in us. And I got news for you before we even get to next week. We are the new temple of God. We are the temple. What Isaiah had a glimpse in, the temple that he saw was a foreshadowing of the new temple, which we are. Somebody say, I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. Say, I am the dwelling place of the Lord God Almighty. That's pointing forward to our future teachings in this series, but I don't care because it's so important. We have access to God now in a way that Isaiah didn't even have access to, but we should remember what holiness looks like. Now, in closing, I will say that holiness is used really two ways primarily in, in the Bible, I think that the, the, the second way it's used, and it's, it's the much lesser way in terms of frequency, uh, people think is the, is the most frequent, and it's not. Uh, and the second way that people probably think is the, is the most used and what, is what it means is they think it means righteousness, like perfectness, like wonder, he's wonderful, he's so like pristine, something like that. And, and yes, he absolutely is in every way. But when the Bible talks about holiness, primarily what it means is something that is set apart, something that is uncommon, not ordinary. So what, what Isaiah is doing is he's having trouble putting into words what is so unordinary to him and extraordinary, a God that is so beautiful and perfect and set apart and different, he cannot describe it with normal language. So, so if, if you just kind of view God as common and, and, and you're not honoring him and respecting him and having that sense of awe, you, you might need to spend more time with him. You know, I mean, we come into church sometimes and it's like, it's like, that's not enough. I mean, it's, it's, it's not enough to just kind of go through the motions with a God that's that holy. We need to be engaging with him. But we need to know that it is only through Christ that we can ever 
approach God with boldness. And he wants you to live in his presence with boldness and with holiness. Be ye holy as I am holy. That's unattainable without Jesus. But with Jesus, we give him our sin. He gives us his righteousness. That's the great exchange. And that's what's beautiful is that's available for you today. No matter who you are, no matter how recent your mistake is, no matter how bad you've been hurt, what you've done right or wrong, that's available for you here today. Because the Bible says, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So today I wanna to give an opportunity for those that are watching online, for those that are in this room. If you need to know Jesus, if you need to get your heart right with God, this is your moment to say, God, I want to experience your holiness. I wanna have a reverence for you. I wanna respect your presence. I wanna experience what Isaiah experienced. I might need to disintegrate. I, I need to come undone and to experience at one moment again with your presence, put me back together in a way that honors your name through the person of Jesus. If that's you today, I wanna to give you an opportunity to do that right now. Could you bow your heads and close your eyes, even those that are watching online? If that's you today and you need the Lord, I'm gonna ask you when I count to three to raise your hand. If you're watching online on three, I'm just gonna ask you to type in the chat, I need Jesus. We would love for our moderators and our team to be able to see that you need the Lord in your life so they can connect with you, follow up with you, give you some ways that you can continue, continue your walk of faith with the Lord. And for those in the room, I'll just ask you to lift your hand high up in the air on three. One, the Bible says now is the time of salvation. Two, I believe every person that's in this room has been drawn here by the power of the Holy Ghost for this very moment. And God is about to do something extraordinary in your life. Three, hands up all over the room if that's you. If you need Jesus in your life, that's hands in every single section, every single section of this room. I see multiple, multiple hands. That's really dozens of people throughout this room. And I believe people are lifting your hands online as well. I'll ask you to repeat this prayer with me out loud. Sincerely and genuinely from your heart, mean it. Say, I ask you, Lord, to forgive me of my sins. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me. You took my sin and my blame, and you gave me your righteousness in its stead. You went to the grave and rose again so I could have eternal life and live a redeemed life. From this day forward, I will follow you. I will serve you. Lead me, Lord. Help me to experience a revelation of your holiness and your glory and to live a life pleases you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, could we give God a great praise? So many people raise their hands. This concludes the teaching. If you'd like to support what God is doing here at City of Life, click on the Give button at www.col.tv or text a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. We hope you'll join us again.